Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me on the 11th episode of the Fandom Science Podcast. Uh, today, my guest is Dr. Andrea Joss. She's an exercise physiologist and a nutrition scientist at York University. We talked about uh, weight loss, um, how to maintain a healthy weight loss, what is the difference between a healthy and unhealthy uh, way to lose weight, uh, what is a sustainable diet, how can we achieve that, how to balance our carbs intake with our fats, uh, where does insulin come into all of this uh, equation, uh, Dr. Joss also answered some questions about um, GMO versus non-GMO foods. Uh, what's the difference between them? Um, is one healthier than the other? Same with organic versus inorganic food. Um, and answered a bunch of questions about nutrition, exercise, physiology. I, I cannot thank her enough for, for joining me and answering those questions. So I hope you guys enjoy it. If you do, uh, leave a like and subscribe to the channel and uh, tune in for the 12th episode coming soon. Yeah, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this. And I'm sure uh, a lot of people who are also interested in nutrition and exercise physiology and all that are also interested. I know my friends are. Um, Good. Yeah, so you've done a lot of work on exercise physiology and nutrition and changing body composition through both those uh, mechanisms. But one of the most interesting one you've done is on dairy. And you mm -hmm. sent me the study before. So can you just describe it to us very quickly? You did one on males and one on females. Yeah, so the first one that I did um, was actually during my PhD when I was at okay. McMaster. And that particular study was, it was a 16-week uh, diet and exercise trial mm -hmm. in young women. Right. And um, they were placed on a hypoenergetic diet. And there were actually three groups in that particular study. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them that uh, was just on a... Um, a diet where we cut the calories and and maintain low dairy consumption. Mm -hmm. The other one was recommended dairy consumption with cutting of calories right. and energy. And the third one was a higher protein, higher dairy, um, along with energy restriction. So we had a graded increase in mm -hmm. dairy and also protein by virtue of the fact that we were right. increasing yeah. the dairy. Um, and as I said, that study was 16 weeks and it was a combined lifestyle modification intervention. Mm -hmm. So they were actually exercising with us five days a week. Um, they set up their schedules. We saw them five times. It was a so very So what exercises? Study. Like a mixture. Train? Honestly, right, right, right. it was a mixture. We actually, um, we followed their lead on this. Mm -hmm. So whatever they liked, we incorporated, we needed, we wanted a variety. This was a mixed mode exercise program, mm -hmm. but we certainly played to whatever they wanted to do and right. just ensured that they, um, had a increase in energy expenditure. Right. So just monitoring the calories in versus calories out type of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, Essentially, so they right. were so most of them, if not all of them, lost body weight. Yeah. But the key factor here, and and actually, the interesting thing is just to backtrack that all three of those groups lost the same amount of body weight. The body weight on the scale the weight, that was yeah. lost was exactly the same. What was different about the three groups was the quality of the weight that was lost. Mm -hmm. So what made up the X amount of kilos that they lost. And I think it was pretty modest. It was only about five kilos in total mm -hmm. over 16 weeks that they lost, which some right. would say if you do the math, it doesn't add up in terms of what the energy restriction we gave them. Yeah. It should have been more. So how many pounds is that? Is that like less than 10? 
Uh, yeah. No, is it two point two? It's a little so bit a bit more over than 10, ten. You're right. But it's it's still not a lot yeah, for yeah. sixteen. We're talking four months, yeah, you're right? right? Yeah. So it's not a ton, but. I think the devil's in the details here right. because what we actually ended up seeing was that the higher protein group and the higher dairy group mm-hmm. actually also gained lean mass while they were losing. So in true right. fact, they they essentially lost more fat mm-hmm. than the rest of the groups, mm-hmm. but their weight loss was the same because they put on muscle. Yeah, and they gained muscle, so the net weight is going to change, exactly. but, but it's, it's still a healthy change in body composition sure. nevertheless. And so, so we actually feel, and so one of the main points that we can pull from that study yeah. was what we call high quality weight loss. We mm-hmm. were able to achieve that, which we define as um, all the weight that was lost was fat mass mm-hmm. as opposed to lean mass lean mass normally when you go on a diet and maybe not add in um an exercise component yeah. or maybe even a higher protein diet mm-hmm. per se i'm not talking high like very high protein yeah maybe 20 30 percent ish although 30 percent can get up there but right my point is is that um if someone just cuts their calories generally we end up seeing that about 25 percent of the weight that people lose is uh lean mass and okay. 75% is fat mass. Right, right, right. But what we can do with these particular countermeasures, which forms the basis of some of the work that I do, um, is actually look at increasing protein and adding a suitable exercise program, which mm-hmm. actually helps to rescue that lean mass. Mm-hmm. And in our case, it actually increased lean mass, even right. in a caloric restriction right, right, situation, right. which you know some would say that may not be... It, it's hard to understand because they're in a catabolic state mm-hmm. or negative energy balance, but we still managed to see that effect. So a big component of that, of both those studies was dairy, right? So, That's right. And especially yogurt. How, like, how did yogurt help in all of this? Is there something about yogurt in particular that's... Well, that study, this study that I'm talking about yeah. was mixed dairy consumption. So mm-hmm. it, di- it was yogurt also, but mm-hmm. it was also milk and it was also cheese. Um, the other study that mm-hmm. I was going to talk about, which was just recently published a couple of weeks ago in Frontiers in Nutrition, mm-hmm. um, that study was done in males. And that one, we just used yogurt and we didn't put them on a weight loss diet. Mm-hmm. Um, this was done in um, novice uh, exercisers, so novice weight trainers. Um, and uh, we were looking to see whether yogurt mm-hmm. versus a hype, uh, a isoenergetic carbohydrate food, which we called the placebo pudding, right? Um, which was essentially a similar consistency. Like we we created this placebo. You pudding. created it. Yeah, okay. we created it to be isoenergetic mm-hmm. to the yogurt, so that we knew that the supplements we were giving these people were of the same calories. Right. They so that that wasn't a confounding factor in mm-hmm, our study, mm-hmm. and um, and so we were looking to see whether this supplement post exercise had an effect over the long term in um, muscle mass or lean mass accretion, uh, muscle size mm-hmm. and strength. Right. And so, so this substance, did you make it yourself or like we in the lab actually, at home? My graduate student oh, yeah? made it they just cooked it up. And, and I remember being in the lab and, you know, we had these taste tests mm-hmm. and we decided which one tasted mm-hmm. the most palatable so that we could use that for our participants and right. they didn't know what it was i mean mm-hmm. obviously it was safe it went through ethics and everything mm-hmm. but uh they didn't know what was in it 
Right. Obviously, they know what yogurt is. Yeah. So the group that was consuming yogurt knew they were consuming yogurt, but the group that was consuming this um, placebo. pudding mm-hmm. placebo supplement, uh, mm-hmm. for all they knew, it contained all these nutrients that were right. beneficial for them. Right. We didn't say that or the, mm-hmm. uh, or not. Yeah. So I right. think that helped a little bit. But. Well, I mean, that's what all big companies do anyway. They sell you whatever and tell you there's <laughs> nutrients in it, so it doesn't no matter. No comment. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so moving on just a little bit from uh, dairy and just to weight loss in general, and I think that's a topic that people are really, really interested in in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems that a lot of people think that as long as you're in a caloric deficit, it doesn't matter what diet you're on. Like As long as there's more calories out than in, you will end up losing weight. Now, sometimes that can backfire, obviously, because it doesn't guarantee you getting the essential nutrients. But in general, what do you think about that method of just calories in, calories out? That's all you need to worry yeah, about. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, one of the best telltale ways to help you to lose weight mm-hmm. is to take in less energy than what your body requires, which mm-hmm. forces your body to go into its reserves. Yeah. And, you know, metabolize that for energy to sustain mm-hmm. life. Like that's, that's you know, uh, it, it, that's a, a primary example yeah. of, of how our bodies work. Mm-hmm. But I always say, and we can see that there are very many variations of different types of diets out there. Yeah. And not there isn't one diet that works well for one person. Mm-hmm. And, and there's... So there is variety, and I think that people just need to figure out what works best for them. Yeah. And the key to that is what can I stay on over the long term? Yeah. Because losing weight, particularly actual fat mass, is a slow process. Yeah. If you want to fit into that dress in two weeks mm-hmm. and you know you decrease your water intake and your calories, you're yeah. going to lose weight, but you're probably going to lose a lot of water. Yeah. If and you just gonna... cut weight like a wrestler, like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're like gonna that fit type in, of know. thing. Well, in order to cut weight like a wrestler, <laughs> they go through extreme situations mm-hmm. for a very short period of time yeah. and they feel horrible. Yeah. And then they blow up after. Right. And yeah. then they stop doing yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but to actually lose weight and sustain it, it mm-hmm. needs to be a lifestyle change and it needs to happen slowly. So mm-hmm. I always say like, regardless of what diet or nutritional program you're mm-hmm. on, as long as you're able to sustain it and it's working for you, mm-hmm. then that's the best way to go. So it's not necessarily a, uh, like a, a set way of how you should balance your macronutrients. It just differs from person to person. Like... According to my research yeah. and even what I believe, I do feel that there may be the case for protein, mm-hmm. like to make the case that adding a higher level of protein to your diet when you're trying to cut your calories uh, may be beneficial. Um, even with the studies that I've done, it shows that you're able to preserve your lean mass as you're losing body fat mm-hmm. and body weight. And that in and of itself will help with metabolism. And, you know, you talk about metabolic rates plummeting when people go on diets and things like that. But if you're able to at least maintain your muscle mass, which is a huge sink for metabolism Mm -hmm. in our body, um, not only that, not only metabolizing substrates, but also like glucose metabolism, lipid metabolism, Mm -hmm. things like that. If you're able to maintain that volume of muscle, then you'll be better off. So that's one gram of protein per body weight per pound of body weight for men, right? And for women, it's different. Like when, What's that regarding? Just maintaining the lean muscle mass so you don't lose it. 
while also decreasing body fat. That's what that's yeah. kind of like the rule that I've heard is. Yeah, I mean, um, there are several numbers that have been thrown around. Right, right, right. But I like to talk about it as a percentage of total energy that one's mm-hmm. consuming because mm-hmm. that changes based on the individual person. Right. And it probably works out to a to a per gra- uh, gram per kilo per day measure for yes. the individual person. Right. So one thing you just mentioned, we talked about this before when I met you, is uh, a sustainable versus unsustainable diet. It's like you lose a lot of weight, but is it sustainable? So what makes a diet or an eating habit sustainable? Essentially, whether you can be on it for a longer period of time and whether you feel good on it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I prescribe a diet for someone or if I, in my research, I tell someone to follow this particular diet and they can't, they won't. Right. <laughs> then that's part of the problem. So what makes it sustainable will differ from person to person. It's like sure. w- what they like in terms of like palate. Absolutely. Their... What's palatable to What's them. What's palatable, yeah. What their beliefs are. You know, if someone comes to me and says, I do not like dairy mm-hmm. for whatever the reason. I don't want to have a diet with dairy. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm against it for whatever the case may be. You know, we talk about it a little bit, mm-hmm. but I'm not, I, I would hope that evident, based on the evidence, I could maybe talk to them about why I feel and why the evidence shows that dairy is an, is an important part of one's diet. Yeah. But if that, if the case is that they still don't want to have dairy in their diet, mm-hmm. It's not to say that you can't have a diet rich in nutrients without dairy. You just right. need to be well informed about mm-hmm. what food choices to make in order mm-hmm. to reach the levels of nutrients that you require yeah. and protein. I mean, it seems like in 2019, like everything is bad for you, but also everything is good for you. And mm-hmm. dairy is one of those things mm-hmm. where it's um, it's like every other day you see someone writing an article or a blog. Not that you should take it for granted. But it's all about how dairy is bad, how it causes this and that. But I mean, isn't there a f- isn't there research to show something is bad and good for pretty much any other food item? This is why I actually like the field of nutrition so much yeah. because there's there are lots of misconceptions that I actually really try yeah. to correct. Mm-hmm. I try to teach my students about looking at the evidence and make them. Uh, proper consumers of nutrition knowledge you know right. we talk about um uh, information literacy and mm-hmm. so you know when you go online and you see these headlines that are radical be it about dairy be it about yeah. soy be it about whatever the case may be the students that i teach should be able to then look at that and mm-hmm. read it and figure out the details behind what they're saying right. and make an assumption or um, make a conclusion as to whether it's right or not. Right. And so that's part mm-hmm. of what I teach and, yeah. why, and why I like the field of nutrition. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's easy, not easy, but I mean, it's more manageable for um, people like us to kind of differentiate between a good research and bad research because we're, we've studied research methods for right. so and long. we're trained, you know, your graduate students yeah. are trained and us as professors, right. we're, we're trained with that critical eye, mm-hmm. but the general population is not. Yeah, but it is on us to... to to True. translate that so yeah. i mean it starts Thanks with a podcast yeah yeah exactly <laughs> millions of people are watching this sure, so sure, yeah. yeah um but uh, just going back quickly to the sustainable versus unsustainable diet yeah. like i've i've tried keto for so long um i would do it on and off okay you know month month and a half on and then and then um go off it just because it's so unsustainable to eat cheese and avocados with everything yep. and avoid pretty much all carbs not all carbs i mean vegetables are fine some of them some of them some of them there's like two that are fine 
like broccoli and cauliflower. Cucumbers. Yeah, cucumbers. But um, yeah, it's stuff like that that makes a diet so unsustainable. But I don't get how some people just adapt it as a lifestyle. Like they live their entire life I would venture keto. to say that a lot of people don't mm-hmm. live their life in, keto, in, in ketosis. Um, it's very difficult, as you can attest to. Uh, and in fact, the ketogenic diet was originally designed for epilepsy treatment, right. and seizure prevention. Yeah. And so people who have that motivation to not have seizures are probably the only ones that right. can stay on that type of diet mm-hmm. for a longer period of time because mm-hmm. it actually helps their disease. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's very difficult otherwise. And, you know, some people could run into issues unless they're properly monitored on these mm-hmm. diets regarding certain nutrient deficiencies and fiber deficiencies and right. certain other things. Is there a diet out there that you look at? And again, it will differ from person to person. But is there a diet that you look at and you you think, yeah, this may be sustainable. Like this is, you know, is, yeah, whether there are ke- quite a keto, few. paleo, vegan, whatever. There are quite a few out yeah. there. Um, I think... It's probably easier for me to answer the flip question. What's unsustainable? Um, yeah, I, I would say that diets that strictly cut out food groups yeah. tend to be more unsustainable than diets that allow for variety. So that's that, that would be keto, for example. Right. Yeah. No, and none of this means that nobody can follow this. Yeah, yeah. There of course, are people, of as we said, that yeah. do follow these yeah. particular diets and they're very motivated to do so for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, the planning type diets based off points and other such things i find the premise behind them easier to follow so like weight watchers for example it's been Mm -hmm. around for a very long time and they keep adapting it but i actually think that that one uh help uh, helps a lot of people and it's a good one to follow because it's based off a point system it doesn't tell you that you can't have this or you can't have that per se Mm -hmm. um it allows for a varying amount of free foods that you can consume yeah um and it allows for the flexibility of food preferences and tastes and cultural situations and things like that Right. Um, and it allows for indulgence and not. And mm-hmm. so I think all those elements put together, um, they talk about the behavioral side of dieting yeah. and, and, you know, that. And they they uh, focus also on physical activity, which is the other side mm-hmm. of it all, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a diet paradigm or a nutritional paradigm based on choice, but with guidance I yeah. think is the best way to go. And I know that's relatively broad, but there are a couple of them out there that are like right. that. And as I said before, I do think that an easier thing to do is just increase the protein level in your diet. And What about the carbs and the fat? So in terms of carbohydrates, I think it's always a good idea to focus on the complex carbohydrates, the unprocessed carbohydrate foods. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, been a healthy way to eat carbohydrates for a long period of time mm-hmm. um so that excludes you know the the sugars the the candy yeah, and all so that the stuff higher though. sugar higher right. sugar foods the sh- foods with added sugars mm-hmm. the foods that are highly processed um, white bread and so on and so forth white bread things like that mm-hmm. if you can avoid those foods in lieu of other types yeah. of carbohydrates like whole grain bread for example mm-hmm. um uh, brown carbohydrates, mm-hmm. that type of thing. I think th- that's the better way to go. But don't 
you know, if you like white bread, go have a piece of white bread. Like this is, you know, it's not like nothing's going to happen. <laughs> right. But a piece though. Sure. Yeah. Sure. A piece. But, you know, in the end, if you're looking to increase the overall quality of your diet, mm -hmm. the nu nutrient quality, um, cutting out those refined high sugary carbohydrates is certainly mm -hmm. a good way to go. And in terms of fats as well, that's, um, there, it's more contentious, I would yeah. say. Um, because people are always quick to say saturated fats are bad, unsaturated fats are good. Um, at the end of the day, fat is still the most energy-dense macronutrient, and so eating too much of it mm -hmm. is not necessarily a good thing. Yeah. Um, But not eating any of it is also a bad thing. Not eating any of it is also bad. Our body needs cholesterol, too, yeah. somehow. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you can get it from other sources, too. But right. the point is, is that... Um, that uh, we we do require a certain amount of fat mm -hmm. in our diet. See, that's where it gets confusing a little bit for me is when, when we're talking, like protein, okay, I get it. A high amount of protein is good to maintain muscle mass and, and not lose it. But when we started mixing the, the fat and the carbs, because I've always been of the belief that you can either go the uh, medium or high carb, high protein, low fat way, or you can go the high fat and then low carb way. It's all in the context. So if you're if you're manipulating your macronutrients, mm -hmm. but you're still at energy balance, or you're still eating maybe a little bit below energy balance, you're going to maintain your body weight or even lose a little bit over time. Mm -hmm. The problem with society and the obesity situation that is facing our nation, as well as other places in the world, is the fact that These, these macronutrient manipulations happen, but people are overeating. People are eating more than what their body requires and or they're expending less energy, which I mm -hmm. think is also, you know, a whole other side that we could talk right. about. But yeah, they're yeah. expending less energy than what their body requires, which puts them in a positive energy balance situation. Mm -hmm. And that, no matter what macronutrient you eat, mm -hmm. you know, you're eating more than what right. your body requires. On the flip side, you get into a situation where you could eat all the fat you want. And I'm talking theoretical here because yeah. clearly, you know, this mm -hmm. may have an impact on other factors. Yeah. But for example, you can eat all the fat you want, um, all the Big Mac meals you want. Mm -hmm. But if you come in under the your your energy requirements for the day, then you're not going to put on body weight. Perfect. That's what I'm going to do from now on. <laughs> Just two Big Macs a day. Um, but People no have done it. People have done it. Yeah. But, I mean, there are other risk factors that are yeah. that become problematic. Oh, of course. Yeah. There's one uh, one channel that I follow. It's through bodybuilders and something like they go through phases of bulking and cutting weight. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's the same. It's, it's all fast food. If they're bulking, they just eat more calories than fast food. If they're cutting, they just eat, you know, only two junior chickens as opposed to five. Yep. And, um, I mean, God knows how long those guys will live, but yeah, not looking good for them. Um, so another thing that's confusing a little bit when we mix carbohydrates and fats within a diet is where does insulin play a factor in all of that? So, you know, when you eat carbs, doesn't it raise your insulin and then that forces it to store fat? So yeah, even I for... mean, insulin is very complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, generally speaking, insulin is an anabolic hormone. Um, so yes, it does have the effect of building and storing yeah. in our body. Mm -hmm. And so, um, when you eat carbohydrate foods, particularly those where the sugars are fast absorbed, so the high glycemic index sugars, 
um, or the the sugars that are more available in the food. Mm-hmm. Um, you raise your blood sugar levels, which is subsequently followed right quickly after by a spike in insulin. Yeah. Um, for certain situations, that's helpful. Like if you're an athlete and you want to absorb the blood sugar into your muscles to be used for, you know, exercise or yeah. whatever, that's helpful, yeah. right? Um, right. If you're replenishing your glycogen after an exercise bout, then it's helpful to have these insulinogenic carbohydrates mm-hmm. um, or dairy products also are insulinogenic. Mm-hmm. Um, some amino acids produce insulin responses. So that's a helpful situation where we get into this unhelpful situation. And again, it's contextual for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, when we eat certain foods that raise our blood sugars and or raise our insulin and we don't expend energy, um, our body takes what it needs for metabolism, like each our cellular metabolism, but then the remainder of it is driven to be stored in our tissues. And mostly this happens in our adipose tissue or our fat tissue because they're also responsive to insulin. Mm -hmm. And so do you think the advice that um, to eat, like within a meal, either keep it carbs and protein or fats and protein to be helpful because you you avoid, like we're not talking athletes, we're talking regular people, just to avoid that spike in insulin and and the storage of fat or not? Well... I don't think the spike in insulin is always a bad thing, mm-hmm. as I said before. I, mm-hmm. I, I think that there is a physiological reason why we have that response. And people who don't have that response run into issues. Yeah. Because um, high blood glucose levels in the blood is not a good thing. Right. And um, my phone's good. Uh, I think that, um, where was I going with that? High blood... Right. So Yeah, the the presence of insulin regulating the, the sugar so in the when blood. we have high blood glucose levels. Mm-hmm. Never mind. I'm gonna take off my watch. Your watch is buzzing, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's mm-hmm. an Apple Watch. It, oh, it kinda bothers me. That's why I'm on the old school way of the <laughs> yeah. Um So we want to clear the blood glucose mm-hmm. and store it in our bodies. Yeah. In whatever tissues. Um because high circulating blood glucose leads to diabetes. So insulin is actually a very important physiological mechanism mm-hmm. to allow for us to clear blood glucose. Right. So it's a normal physiological process. Mm-hmm. And the storing of, of um, fat or glucose mm-hmm. in our various tissues is also an important physiological yeah. process. Because you still need body fat. You, well, you, you can't still go need body, body fat. fat. Yeah. You still need blood glucose uh, sorry you you still need glucose mm-hmm. to be stored or uh, as glycogen mm-hmm. for when you're in a situation where your blood glucose falls down then your body gets signaled to release that glucose mm-hmm. to restore blood glucose mm-hmm. levels yeah i mean this goes back to our ancestors like yeah. long long ago mm-hmm. when you know they didn't know when their next meal was coming they would store everything that they could their bodies programmed to do that so Mm -hmm. that when they're in a situation where their next meal is uh you know is not for a long period of time they still have residual nutrients to sustain right right right. so perhaps what a like a useful thing or helpful thing that we can do is maybe eat carbohydrates that are lower on the glycemic index or or the lower on the right so glycemic index is another um 
situation. It's it's a way to classify carbohydrate-containing foods mm -hmm. um, based on the blood glucose response that they elicit mm -hmm. after they're consumed. And actually, this dates back to my master's work. And <laughs> McMaster? I did my master's at U of T with David Jenkins. Yeah. U of T and, and McMaster? I did my PhD yeah, at These Mac. are two schools I got rejected from. Go on, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but here, you, you, uh, but here you're I in am. York now. But here I am. It's all good. Yeah. Um, but so uh, David Jenkins, Dr. David Jenkins, yeah. was w one of the inventors or the inventor of the glycemic index. Oh, so really? I actually, yeah, and I was very lucky to be able to work with him to do Ooh. my master's. So um, I actually, as part of my master's, I did a lot of work on the glycemic index. Okay. And I actually looked at the effect of adding higher fat foods, in my case, almonds or pistachios. Mm -hmm. um, my particular thesis was about almonds, but looking at adding almonds to high glycemic index foods and eating them together and yeah. seeing what effect that subsequently has on blood glucose excursions, insulin excursions, oxidative stress. Mm -hmm. And so when you consume a mixed meal that contains the all three macronutrients, and in fact, we were using white bread because it has a high, the one of the highest glycemic indices. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> We, we were able to reduce the glycemic index of white bread almost to a flat line because of adding fat to the diet. Really? Yeah. So it's the, 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 the fat just canceled out all the... Essentially, the fat inhibited <clears throat> the release of the glucose um, or the absorption of the glucose, or it decreased it to a point where it was a much slower... Um, absorption of glucose over time wow. so you don't see those massive excursions which then trigger massive insulin excursions wow, so okay. the implications of that of course are for people with diabetes um, mm -hmm. they should consume potentially higher uh, higher glycemic index foods if they are going to do that along with higher fat potential Mm -hmm. um, healthier fat foods to right. help mitigate the glycemic excursions that they yeah. undergo because they have trouble with that. Right, right, of course. So uh, the point is to avoid high glycemic food, but if you are to... But the, but going back to your insulin question, yeah. when you don't increase blood glucose, you don't increase insulin Yeah, usually because they go hand in hand. Yeah, okay. See, that's one of the most confusing things. And again, like, <clears throat> because... The advice you hear in general is like, hey, watch your calories, whatever, or the macronutrients, but we don't pay attention to insulin. I feel like it is it is such an important yeah, factor. Yeah, because that, that... that's actually, it's it's the hormone that uh, causes your body to store. Right. And again, going back to the situation where, you know, you sit down and you eat a food that would elicit a high blood glucose response, mm -hmm. and then you don't do anything after. You just sit. Mm -hmm. um, your body is going to use energy first that it needs, but then yeah. the rest of it is going to be converted into glu into fat and stored. Mm -hmm. Now, you may mobilize it again later on, right. but the point is, is that over time, if you keep doing this, i.e. you keep eating more than what your body requires, mm -hmm. you're going to have a net increase in body fat. Right, right, of course. So it, as much as we stray away from that, I mean, the, the laws of thermodynamics is that what it is with energy balance it it, i mean it still remains yeah. the same so um so you mentioned uh before that th there's a lot of misconceptions out there and all that what do you think is what are some of the biggest misconceptions in nutrition that you see in the media you see in the 
and the mainstream outlets and the biggest misconceptions in yeah nutrition. and then you go man wow. like that's that's so crazy how people think that is there one yeah that's a big question um i think the biggest misconceptions well certainly from the work that i do i think dairy yeah is misunderstood mm-hmm. um in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and uh you know, not only because I research dairy, but I firmly believe that that um, that there's a lot that people don't necessarily understand right. about it. Um, and so I do talk about the benefits of it. But then mm-hmm. I also, you know, because I, I am evidence based, I also talk about the fact that you don't have to consume it if you don't want to. If you don't want to consume dairy, then there are many other ways to still get the nutrients you require without consuming dairy. It's more difficult, I'll be honest. I mean, to get the adequate amount of calcium that you require, um, it's a lot easier to get it from a serving of dairy products Mm -hmm. than it is from... Yeah, taking calcium supplements and then some vegetables. Calcium supplements are another story, but you Mm -hmm. don't always absorb all the calcium from the supplement as you do from the food itself. So you still end up getting less if you take calcium supplements? Yeah. Where does it go? Where does the remaining go that you don't absorb? You excrete it. You just, your body just doesn't absorb it. It doesn't absorb it because it's not, it's not coming from like a a natural source, I guess. They've done a lot of studies showing that minerals Mm -hmm. and micronutrients that actually come from the food matrix, um, tend to be more bioavailable, it's called, Mm -hmm. than nutrients that are taken in isolation. Right. Okay. So, so a multivitamin is good if you know that you won't get these foods from your diet because again, or these nutrients, because again, it's better to have something versus nothing. Yeah. But at the end of the day, uh, and that's why dietitians and other folks in nutrition, we really push whole foods yeah. um, as the way to go. Now, speaking of whole foods, what what about the organic versus inorganic <laughs> craze that's been going on in the last 10 years? Yeah, I mean... That's an interesting one. You know, there are certain foods that people swear by in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, you have to eat this organic, food, yeah. like the organic version versus not. Yeah. Price is prohibitive sometimes for organic, but nobody should, you know, think that they're not getting adequate nutrition if they're not buying organic foods. Yeah. I mean, I have two kids and, you know, I do buy certain organic foods mm-hmm. for them. Um, for example, strawberries and berries and things like that. Um, we eat their skins, like their outer skin. Yeah. So they, uh, they tend to be, uh, foods that I would consider buying organic over not, but I'm not saying that to say that everyone needs to buy organic strawberries. Um, uh, bananas. So because you I eat the... likely wouldn't buy organic that, because yeah. they have a thick peel that you you know the pesticides and things Can't that penetrate. are of concern between organic and non-organic mm-hmm. or other types of chemicals wouldn't penetrate the banana maybe. Right. So there is something to this organic thing. Yeah, it's I mean, not, it's there, not only a marketing ploy. There is something. I mean. From a nutrient perspective, mm-hmm. I don't think organic foods are healthier than non-organic foods. Right. It's these other elements. You're just avoiding the, the chemicals. That the you, chemicals. Yeah. And there are, there is, well, there are uh, studies to show that there's less chemicals potentially in organic fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. than not. 
But, you know, I don't think that any type, I mean, look, you even have E. coli outbreaks and romaine mm. lettuce and other such yeah. things. So you still have to be careful regardless. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not like from a nutrient perspective, it's not that organic foods contain more nutrients. Right. It's, it's only the chemical. Now, as far as health risks, are there, is there any research on uh, um, inorganic food being, you know, causing more diseases or anything like that or... I'm not up on that, to be honest. I, I don't yeah. believe that's the case. I think we would have heard a lot about it if that yeah. was the case. Um, um, but, uh, I mean, the other major element is all this GMO foods that people talk about. That's like, So that's another that's question that's another I was going to ask you. That's another thing we talk about in mm -hmm. terms, you know, there's organic versus non-organic mm -hmm. and genetically modified and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, there's a big misconception about genetically modified foods. Which is that they're bad and they're... Which is that they're bad, they're Franken foods yeah, and like yeah. all this type of thing. What thing. is the truth then? I mean, at the end of the day, people just don't realize that most of our foods mm. have been genetically modified at some point. Like carrots weren't naturally orange, apparently. Is that right? Yeah. And so um, I just heard that the other just day. Just spray tan or what? No, they, they were genetically modified mm -hmm. to be made orange. To, to appeal more to the customer? Um, I think it probably had to do with potentially increasing beta carotene within the carrots, which has an orange hue yep. to it. Um, but see, we, we just don't understand that a lot of the foods in our food supply at some point potentially were genetically modified to help with the yield of the food or right. to increase the nutrients of the food or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's no evidence of that having any harm. None. Not that I know of. That's good news because I never bought into the non-GMO stuff. Never really understood why. I mean, like you said, everything has been genetically modified. Not everything, but like most things have been genetically modified at one point. that we don't even realize. That now we, yeah. Um, that now we adopt as mainstream yeah. like the carrot situation. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, playing around with genetics is a yeah. whole other podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, whether we talk about nutrition or we talk about, you mm -hmm. know, humans or whatever the case yeah. may be, I think I think there's always a situation where, you know, we have fear of the unknown type of thing. Like you engineer something and you introduce it in the food supply. People mm -hmm. are, and rightfully so, I think they're a little yeah. cautious. Um, yeah, it's always good to be skeptical. But... Uh, I think just people don't understand that a lot of the foods that we eat have had some mm -hmm. type of tweaking. Right. And and as far as, like you said, as far as we know, there isn't evidence to say that they're bad for you or that they increase any risk of anything. So, Not that I know not of. Not that you know of, yeah. Um, so we deviated just a little bit from weight loss, but mm -hmm. uh, one thing <clears throat> you and I talked about earlier, you said, you mentioned to me, it's called yo-yo dieting. And I don't oh, know what yeah. that is. I, I looked it up. Can you explain to us what that is and how yeah. we can avoid it? Well, it's just it's just a specific concept relating to the fact that you you go on and off a diet and mm -hmm. each time you go on a diet or a nutritional program, you lose body weight, which is what you want, mm -hmm. and then you go off of the diet or change how you eat on that diet and you end up gaining all the weight back again. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, well, this isn't working for me. I'll go on another diet or I'll go on the same diet a little bit harsher. Mm -hmm. So then you go on that again and you lose weight. And then you go off it 
And then you gain all the way back. And then you gain it again. So that's the yo-yo, like back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it's actually, it's it's not healthy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It does a lot to our body to change. Those big swings in body weight. Those big swings are not are not necessarily good from, mm-hmm. you know, the, the body weight perspective or the, even the psychological perspective from mm-hmm. of the person, the failure and, all, you know, them yeah. thinking all of that. I think we've all experienced that at one point or another. Yeah. I, I've experienced but, it many times. Um, the, the effects on body composition are not great and the effects on um, metabolism mm-hmm. are not great. And so a way that we can avoid that is just to focus on a sustainable diet well, that, that you think... It goes back to that sustainability piece. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you want to be able to get to a comfortable level mm-hmm. of body weight loss or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be while you're eating in a way that you want to eat yeah. and that you're being active in a way that you want to be. Right. Um, because if you stop that then you will revert back. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are really interesting and they have this tendency to uh, revert back right. to where we were before. Yeah. And so it makes it harder and harder to lose weight uh, the more weight we want to lose. Um, so we have to figure out a way to sustain it. And the best way is having an eating program or a nutritional program mm-hmm. and exercise that we can do over the long term. So where does uh, like a cheat meal or a cheat day fit into all of that? How, do you, totally how do you feel about doable. those? That's totally doable. I mean, we all, you know, we all need that. Yeah. But the point is, is that we don't beat ourselves up about it. What do you mean? Like we don't get upset with ourselves mm. if we go and have that piece of cake or we go right. and, you know, ha- like go to the Mandarin Chinese buffet or mm-hmm. something. Like, like don't don't beat yourself up about that. Enjoy it. Have a beer with your friends if yeah. that's what you want to do. I mean, all of these things make us feel good. And we're in social situations usually when they, they happen. And they're really, really important for various other aspects. And they, they essentially... and. I get a lot of this information from the participants in my research studies when mm-hmm. we ask them to follow a specific dietary pattern and they say, oh, but I had this the other day, blah, blah, blah. And part of what we do is we try and teach them that that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, don't feel guilty about it. Just know that, you know, we can't do that all the time. That's, that's why it's called the cheat thing. meals. because Exactly. Once um, in a while. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think the elements and the feelings that you get from those types of occurrences um, help you to be stronger to follow mm. your actual program later on. Because you look at it as more of like a reward than, than a thing that you indulge well, in. we and... don't necessarily like food to be seen as a reward. Right. But the fact that it is a... It is still part of a healthy diet. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact like that you can indulge and you feel okay about that mm-hmm. is a very healthy way to live. So you you may have already answered this question just from our discussion, but what do you think is like the biggest mistake that people make when, when they're trying to lose weight? I think that uh, the biggest mistake is not having breakfast and cutting calories too much. Not having breakfast? Yeah, that's one of them. Hmm. So the, the intermittent fasting thing is... How well, you feel that's about a that? whole other issue, the intermittent yeah. fasting. But, I mean, I think 
it's the it's the misconception around breakfast. Like if you have breakfast, people tend to tell me that they end up eating more throughout the day. Mm-hmm. They feel hungrier throughout. I found the day. that to be true for myself. Yeah, but it's because you've woken your furnace in the morning. Exactly, like you're providing your body with energy and you're yeah. revving up your metabolism. If you wake up in the morning and eat nothing, mm-hmm. then your body is still in a low revved mode. Mm-hmm. It's not burning the way it should, and you're feeling sluggish and your blood sugars are off and whatever the case may be. And when you do eat something, your body's like, "Oh my goodness, food!" And then other such things happen. Uh, that affects the rest of the day in terms of metabolism. Mm. So I I talk to my participants in my studies about this a lot because they're concerned about the fact that when they eat breakfast, they end up eating more throughout the day. And they see this when they fill out their food diaries. Yeah. And I talk to them. I'm like, as long as you're making healthy choices in there, Mm -hmm. then that's okay. That you're eating, you know, we talk to them about the servings of foods and looking at, you know, having this Mm -hmm. amount on your plate to be this and that, you know, and so uh, as long as they stay within that, Mm -hmm. then, then it's okay to eat food. Like, I think people get nervous. Uh, But the thought of eating itself, yeah. I think so. But breakfast really helps to rev rev you up. And breakfast with a high protein with high, like a higher protein breakfast, right? I think helps in that regard too. Maybe we've been programmed to, to focus on that eating food is bad rather than what food you're eating. That could be the bad thing, right? Could be. Because, yeah, in our minds, like, no, you shouldn't be eating your... But, um, but again, it goes back to the contextual thing because when I, when I fast, I feel great. When I have breakfast, I feel sluggish. Hmm. So What could... are you having for breakfast? If I have breakfast, usually it's either like oatmeal fruit or... That's a good breakfast. Yeah. You maybe... feel sluggish after that? Yeah, I do feel sluggish. Yeah, maybe because... I don't know, maybe because like I've kind of trained my body not to go on carbs too much. So when I have it, it, it kind of like ha- I have that spike where I'm having that's like possible. a little... That, that's possible, yeah. Um, or if I have breakfast, it would be like um, eggs and some sort of breakfast meat. Those are both okay breakfasts. Yeah. I don't believe in cereal as a breakfast at all. <laughs> not because of nutrition or anything, but it's like, come on, cereal is a snack, not a breakfast. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I find when I eat cereal for breakfast, I'm hungry like an hour later. Yeah, exactly. But that's because of, like, I know physiologically what's happening to the cereal mm-hmm. in my body. Yeah, cereal is like a snack where you need something uh, <laughs> yeah. late in the day. Um, so just to wrap up, just a couple of general questions in uh, in this field. I always hear that if you want to maintain uh, muscle mass and lose body fat, it's 80% diet, 20% exercise. Now, that could be bro science, not real science. What do you think? Is that an accurate uh, statement? Well, certainly, uh, even if you exercise mm-hmm. a like a lot, um, but you eat more energy than what your body requires, you're going to store it. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I think that both are very important, exercise and nutrition, and the devil's in the details also in terms mm-hmm. of like what you're actually putting into your body from a nutrient perspective, and higher protein definitely helps there. Right. Um, some people say exercise makes them more hungry, and so I think that's why you know you can't just like unless you exercise a ton of hours in the day, mm-hmm. it may not actually affect body weight. What it does affect is body composition 
And so that's the other element. So that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah. So from the weight on the scale, most of it, I would say, is nutrition. Mm -hmm. That's true. Because energy in is easier to manipulate than energy out. Yeah. And so, yes, I believe that that's the case. Mm -hmm. However, um, the exercise that you do has an impact on your body composition. Mm -hmm. And part of the work that I've done is in ensuring that the nutritional manipulations that we put people on and the exercise that we get people to do Mm -hmm. focus on reducing fat and increasing muscle. And that's the best type of body composition change. And actually yeah. bone, too. We, we look at bone a lot in my mm-hmm. research as well. And I guess that's dairy comes into play with that, too. Well, dairy for protein also. Yeah. Uh, for, for lean mass. Yeah. That's really big in that area, right. too. So, um, I mean, most people are busy and don't have a lot of time during the day. If you were to recommend, um, again, this is broad. It will differ from person to person. But if you were to recommend uh, someone who has only 30 minutes to exercise a day, uh, their goal is to lose weight or lose, I mean, body fat, maintain muscle mass. What would you recommend? Is it, are you more of a cardio than a weight training or a mixture of both That's throughout the week? That's a big question. I mean, I think that uh, each modality of exercise offers um, different but complementary physiological responses. Mm-hmm. So I would talk to the person regarding what their goals are. If it's just weight loss, then they need to be concerned about burning calories. That's one of the big things that they need to be concerned about. So, you know, jumping on the treadmill and running for 30 minutes Mm -hmm. may be the way to go. Although recent research is showing that resistance training um, is also very beneficial. So that's weightlifting. Right. Uh, is also quite beneficial and it keeps your muscles going for even up to 48 hours Mm -hmm. after one exercise bout so ideally I just always like to tell people and in my research we get people to do mixed mode exercise so they incorporate both types Mm -hmm. of modalities including what we also call some plyometrics so like some jumping type body weight supported exercises Um, because I think all around like a full body workout that focuses on cardio and weight training as well as some plyo is the best for the body in the long Mm. run for a general change um and if you only have 30 minutes that's great like just maximize those 30 Mm -hmm. minutes get sweaty in 30 minutes as long as you do that you've raised your heart rate you know, you feel like your muscles are sore the next day, and then mm-hmm. you've done your job. And one thing I'm not sure if you if you're too familiar with is the high intensity interval training. Mm-hmm. So on on a bike or treadmill, elliptical, however you want to do it, and uh, I found that to be really really beneficial in, in body yeah, well, fat it's loss. certainly great for people who don't have a lot of time. Yeah. Um, my colleagues at McMaster, mm-hmm. uh, Marty Gabala, he's done a lot with high intensity yeah. interval training, and even Stu Phillips as well. Um, he's done some work in that area mm-hmm. and uh, uh, there's certainly they, they've looked at it in various different ways regarding metabolism mm-hmm. uh, even for people with type 2 diabetes it's beneficial for glucose control 
Um, See, the one about diabetes is surprising to me when yeah. I when I read that before. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's uh, it's beneficial. Yeah. I think any stimulus to mm-hmm. the muscle mm-hmm. um, helps the muscle to take in glucose. Right. And so exercise in that way, even if you just have a sh- very short period of time, mm-hmm. will help. And it does keep your metabolism firing for a few hours after yep. you're done. So that's absolutely. also absolutely. a good uh, And the intervals may be a good way for people to exercise. Even people who have chronic illnesses or chronic diseases um, or mm-hmm. heart issues, mm-hmm. uh, because the intervals can be relative. In yeah, terms, you can manipulate them however yeah, you want. Yeah, so you can, as long as, you know, you find out what your max is and then you go just below that mm-hmm. your max is different from my max yeah. so as long as you reach your relative a certain relative mm-hmm. higher intensity then that's beneficial yeah it is it revolves more about self-perceived effort and it's only than a it short is. period of time that yeah. you do like you're working at the high intensity mm-hmm. and then you have a rest and then mm-hmm. you do it again and then you have a rest mm-hmm. but you only need a very short period of time how that affects weight loss in the long run it may have more to do with the total volume of work that you end up doing. I know they've either done some studies, longer term studies in this, or they're looking into this this now. But um, certainly for metabolism and metabolic benefits and yeah. muscular benefits um, down to the mitochondria, they've shown high intensity interval training to be beneficial. To be beneficial, yeah. Now, just to end on this, it's kind of, I think, a good question to wrap everything up is, the term healthy is so vague yeah. because everybody has an idea of what healthy is and what healthy isn't. And again, there's research to show you that strawberries are good for you and to show you that it's bad for you. You know, it's almost every item has something, evidence for and against it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if someone's trying to, you know, prepare their meals or, or their diet according to what should be healthy for them, what advice would you give them to kind of figure out what is healthy for them? How would they know? How would they find out what is healthy? Well, certainly a good resource would be uh, the New Canada's Food Guide. Yeah. Um, they There's lots of literature online on Health Canada's websites um, about what is considered a healthy diet for Canadians. And they've just revamped it, uh, the the food guide, um, just this year. What changed the in it? Last year. Oh, this is a whole other discussion. Okay. <laughs> But um, essentially, they revamped all the food groups and they've made it to look like a plate where you have a certain proportion of your plate to be Mm. fruits and vegetables, protein foods, and um, grain and carbohydrate foods. So half of your plate is is fruits and vegetables, a quarter is is protein-related foods, which lumps meat and dairy together, Mm -hmm. and then the other quarter is uh, a high-quality grain product. Mm And so there's various new guidelines put out for how Canadians can eat healthy. And they don't actually just focus on foods per se. They focus on how to eat, you know, even things like uh, cooking with your family, sitting down to eat a meal with your family, these types of food, uh, these types of things help with the process of eating healthy, which we also believe is really important. Mm but generally, I like to tell people, look for color on your plate, look for variety, mm. uh, switch it up, make it interesting. Um, the least processed, the better. Mm-hmm. So buying 
and eating things not from packages yeah. as best as possible. Although, mm -hmm. of course, pasta comes in a package and things like that, unless yeah. you make it yourself. So there are some caveats there. Yeah. Um, canned beans come in a can. Mm -hmm. um, rinse them off before you eat them because mm -hmm. sometimes the water contains some mm. sodium and yeah. things. But beans are very healthy. So those types of things, like... Um, that is the best way. Those are the best ways, I think, yeah. to eat healthy. And as you rightly said, eating healthy and being healthy are different for so many different people. Yeah. Um, so really, you need to take a look at your own physiology. Um, maybe if you have sensitivities or situations with particular foods, you mm -hmm. need to be aware of that to try and maybe eat differently mm -hmm. than the next person. Mm -hmm. But there's no one size fits all when there's it comes no, to yeah. dieting or being healthy. But right. the key is education, I think. And Health Canada is doing a great job in trying to um, educate people as to what is healthy. And their new food guide uh, certainly will help in that regard. There's a couple details we still need to figure out. Um, but apparently that's forthcoming. Um, like what, for example? Oh, like, like um, details regarding uh, specific... Uh, recommendations of particular foods in the food guide. Okay, okay. Uh, we had that in the old food guide, and I think they're working on that in the mm -hmm. new one. There are also recommendations for cultural, like culturally sensitive foods mm -hmm. in the food guide or um, um, other types of dietary patterns like veganism and vegetarianism mm -hmm. in the food guide too. So, so the vegans made their way into the, sure, the food? Sure, sure, okay. sure. You can look at the food guide and eat mm -hmm. A healthy vegan diet, absolutely. Right. But the vegans need to be aware of the foods that they need to eat that are rich in nutrients to ensure that they get mm -hmm. adequate nutrition. Right. That's what it's all about, the education of it all. So. Right, right, absolutely. Devil is in the details, as you say. Um, I'll Isn't end... that for everything? That is for everything, you're <laughs> right. Um, I'll end on this. This is a very hot topic right now in, in nutrition uh -huh. and also the internet. Yeah. Should you wash your chicken or no? Oh, jeez. <laughs> I say wash it. I mean, it's not going to get rid of salmonella, it's but like funny. wash I, it. I have this argument with my husband at home. Yeah. Also about Is washing he a washer? Not washing chicken. Um, the issue from my understanding about washing or not washing is if you wash the splash yeah. off the chicken ends up, you know, on your yeah, countertop. Okay. But if you know how to use a faucet and a sink, there you go. Problem solved. You can wash your chicken and clean your countertop after. There you go. There's a thought. That's what right? I do. Right? Yeah. But you may miss that microscopic little something that would turn into something. I I'm just being facetious here. Right. But I don't think from a nutrition perspective, there's any... No, there's yeah. There's nothing Forget about, about washing and not. But right. uh, yeah, no, there's, there's all those types of things. I think if you clean appropriately your surfaces, which you should always do when you're dealing with raw meat. Yeah. Then, You'll yeah. be fine. Yeah, just wash your chicken. It'll be okay. Sure. Yeah, that's what chicken. I say. Thank you a lot, uh, so much for joining me. I really My appreciate pleasure. it. Um, is there anything you want to promote? Twitter, website? I uh, am on Twitter. Okay. Uh, Ajoskin. Okay. A-J-O-S-S-E. Yeah, A-J-O-S-S-E Kin. But I do have yet to tweet. Okay. So that's actually a contentious... Uh, so people should follow and then look out for <laughs> yeah, the, for the first week. I, I guess I'm technically a lurker, mm -hmm. but it takes so much time in your day to be to active on Twitter. Yeah. Um, Does just, it not get you angry too when you go on Twitter or no? Are you not one of those people? Sometimes, but as I said, I, I'm just more of a lurker right now mm -hmm. and I get a lot of great information actually from it, from people tweeting out their latest research or, yeah. you know, I like I follow various other mm -hmm. agencies and, and government right. agencies and such. Um, so 
I get a lot of good information from there. Okay. But I find if I engage in tweeting, yeah. then it's just going to take up all my time. You see your and blood I'm pressure like, go I'm up. So, I'm so pressed for, yeah, for, for time, time. Yeah. In, in my general day. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I appreciate taking the time to do this. I mean, I hope this wasn't a waste of your time. I know no, you're busy. No, not at but... all. I, as I said from the start, I think education, mm-hmm. nutrition education is really important. Yeah. And also I get the chance to highlight some of the research right. that I'm proud of. Yeah, And, the, and you know, that my students. And I'll link them in the, in the description. People can. Uh, sure. Yeah, click on. Excellent. Thank you. Great. My pleasure.